So, <laughs> so um, I came up with an idea that isn't original, but I've been, I was exploring it this morning and I was like, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. I want to explore this on the podcast. Um, practical versus theoretical notes. Right. Now, the reason I say that, uh, I'll, I'll give a bit, a bit of a, a debrief of where my brain is going, is a lot of people in the PKM space talk about atomic lit notes, literature notes, and all those sorts of things. Um, and what I keep, what I always come back to is, well, the general population don't need PKM, but they do. Yeah. So, so what sort of PKM do they need? And the way I see it is they need practical notes. So if they have a note on a project that they're doing, so I need to do this. It's not necessarily a task. It's just a note. Or I need to add this to my shopping list. That's not a task. It's a note. But it's a practical note related to a project that they're actively doing. A theoretical note could be anything that's abstracted in theory, whether that's an idea or anything like that, um, that doesn't have a direct use case yet. It's just a thing that you don't know what essay, assignment, blog, article, whatever. You don't know what it's going to relate to. It's just a theoretical note. And the more I was thinking about this, I, I did a journal, uh, a video journal on this a minute ago, so I'll I'll let you speak in a minute. But the more I was thinking about this, the more I realized the practical notes, everyone knows how to do. Everyone can do because they're already doing it in whatever app it is. Then they mm. get to something like Obsidian or Notion or Rome or insert whatever tool, Tana. And you go, oh, I need to do this PKM thing. Well, yeah. now they're dealing with theoretical notes and you have to link it. Yeah, but what am I linking it for? Why am I linking it? Oh, it's serendipity. Yeah, but for what? It's a theoretical note. There's there's no answer. There's no end point. It's a theoretical note. Um, and the reason I say theoretical is because it's so abstract. Most of the time, there isn't a, this is how you do something. And from a student's perspective, when, when students are taking notes, what notes are, do you know they're all going to take? When the essay is due, how much the percentage the, the essay is going to be towards the degree? Like, as soon as someone says, like the lecturer says, okay, this is for your assignment, everyone goes, oh, yeah, I know how to take notes on this. When you start talking about whatever it is, the concepts are like, do I need that? Do I need to write that? Do I need to link that over there? Like, So I think the theoretical notes are the notes that people struggle with. And the practical notes are the ones people intuitively know how to do. But this is me just thinking out loud. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that kind of makes sense. A lot of <clears throat> in the business kind of space. We don't have these PKM conversations, which is why I enjoy like this opportunity to have these deep, nerdy conversations about like personal knowledge management. And it really did some of the things that I got from the workshop that I was I ran on Monday last week was how high level it had to be. And that was really hard, but also is exactly where it needed to be. And so in terms of like the practical, and I think what I was talking about in that workshop was very much practical notes, very much keeping track. And actually, I think about 80 to 90% random number, of course, but the vast majority of my notes and the way that I use Obsidian is practical because that's what I'm doing every day. A lot of what I'm doing every day and my whole philosophy around my note taking is literally to capture as much as possible and not from a point of losing stuff but from a point of like i want to have a track of what's happened 
in my life because my whole entire family are prone to get things like dementia and etc so for me like my high priority is to capture ideas is to have those practical notes and i treat it very practically of things that i want to do and want to achieve and stuff that I, yeah so yeah that makes sense and the theoretical notes are kind of there i go into them but linking them to and, and i i read something recently around that of like how rome has died off in popularity and they kind of spearheaded the linking your thinking idea of like like that's obviously um thingy's term but like yeah that's obviously next term but like they spearheaded this like bi-directional linking and now no one uses it i think the the way i see it i think rome they spearheaded the features but i don't but I don't think they spearheaded the thinking. Um, I think the thinking Nick's certainly done a lot for it. Yeah. But I still don't think it's there. Like the the linking I, the thinking I think way is very too, abstract. Yeah, it's still too abstract. There's not a no one is talking about it in practical terms. They're talking about it in theoretical terms. They're thinking about it from like, oh, atomic notes and this type of notes and that type of notes versus from a very practical basis which is basically the entirety of productivity in my opinion everyone's talking at, about it from a theoretical point of view everyone's talking about it from like this ideal picture of what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be working versus the actual day-to-day practicalities kind of goes on to a thing that i've been thinking about recently um i did a podcast uh, i did a live stream with someone yesterday um and he exists in the hustly style of culture and i wanted to be in there on purpose because of course my views stereotypically if you look at it on the surface level are very anti-hustle but one thing that i took away from it is that i don't give a shit whether you hustle or not because actually there are times when you need i mean you are going through that hustle period right now and it's like, I don't give a shit what you, whether you hustle or whether you don't. What I care about is whether it fits the context of what you're trying to do, which is basically the overarching philosophy of that workshop I did on Monday. It was like, I don't care how you do it or what you do. Make sure it fits the environment that you're in. And I'm like, this is the exact thing. Like, make sure it is practical versus theoretical because productivity is so theoretically minded and it's fun because it's intellectual and it makes us all feel clever. But if you get down to the real, like, practicalities of it it always depends it always is dependent and i made a tweet the other day asking about that and it was in uh uh, i can't remember the topic exactly but it was like that was it to do with the shiny object it's like oh it depends on whether you are focusing on things and whether it's going towards your goals and what you want to achieve and what you want to do and i'm like yeah but what if what if my work is related to the applications that are being used what then? Like, oh, well, that's slightly different. I'm like, good. So can we have a nuanced conversation instead of this theoretical conversation where we make so many assumptions, which obviously we're going to still make a bunch of assumptions that is not possible or very difficult for us not to make assumptions because we're not inside other people's heads. But just to actually ask more questions, which is something that I'm working at doing myself of like, trying to get to the practical rather than my pre predisposed assumptions is to actually go, Hey, what is the practical application here? And I've gone off on a tangent. So I'm going to stop now. 
I think the what what I see like when when I think back to our conversation moving to Obsidian is the notes you had in Obsidian you, that you were using were the practical notes and yeah. all the ones from Readwise the ones that you'd captured from all content all over the place they were the theoretical ones yeah and I think when we went through and sort of rejigged your vault I think now you know how to use the theoretical notes when you want to use them so I don't know whether it's the system that I imposed, <laughs> I sort of just showed you, hey, this is how I do it. And you sort of just adopted that. But that's how I've managed all of the theoretical notes. And because I've done a lot of work with research, research is theoretical notes. Um, yeah. So it's something that I have worked out how to manage because I've outputted essays and I write what I call them now. I write articles in my notes and the articles make the theoretical notes practical like because lo loads of people take notes they take capture notes literature whatever notes you want to call them um they take notes from sources but they don't know what to do with them and i struggled with that in notion i was like i've taken all this stuff but what do i do with it and i think yeah. because all of those notes are theoretical notes and unless the theoretical note is used in a practical way i.e a project or in a practical note, such as like an article or a blog post or a YouTube video or a script of some sort, then they're just in the ether somewhere. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean you, like in my head, that doesn't mean the theoretical note has to become practical straight away because uh -uh. I've got like 300 notes that I would class as source notes, yeah. very theoretical, that are in my article pages in the to-do section <laughs> that are just listed. You can go through my publish and you can scroll through all of the points but I've done something with the theoretical note to make it more practical. So it's not a mess and it's still organized in a way that I can use them. An organized mess. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's something that I, I love with the practical notes is moving away from this. There is a theoretical way of ordering your notes and organizing your notes, which is something that I was talking about a lot. Like what in, in, ecological dynamic is the constraints that you're using to organize them but it's still very theoretical because it changes and until you know i would lean towards abstract because everything is theory so well, i would yeah. lean to yeah i would i would lean I get, this is me being a little bit pedantic about words being used um mm. the, the academic in me uh, <laughs> but yeah i would i would say that the conversations are more abstract Every conversation is theoretical, but the abstract nature of what they're talking about doesn't give any tangible, useful information. Uh, and when you were talking about asking questions, my Tana video got a lot of like, uh, a lot of likes, but also got a lot of, I wouldn't say hate, but a lot of people disagreeing. Uh, and a lot of their disagreements were abstract. They were emotional abstractions of why they disagreed. Tana has more features. What features? That, that that was the question. What features? Tana can do X or Y better. How does it do that better? Tana suits my workflow. How? What What exactly in your workflow does Tana do that Obsidian doesn't do? And that, that was my experience as well. When I asked those questions, I'm like, I don't understand. Help me understand. It was like, oh, well, I like it. Or, well, I still haven't got an invite. Yes, but that's not what I'm asking. Give me something because quite frankly i'd love to love tana because tana sounds like something that i could actually really get on with if i'm for obsidian like <laughs> yeah, it, i was gonna say throw obsidian like yeah somewhere if, if we put obsidian aside for a second 
Partner would have been designed for me. It would have been the next step, the next evolution from Notion to more open-ended notes. And the bits that I did see of the live stream, that was something that I've put forward. Of like, it is like it, it's one layer back from the really rigidity of Notion, mm -hmm. if we can call Notion rigid. But in this context, it is rigid. It's a scale and Notion is certainly more rigid than the traditional PKM tools, however you define PKM. I think PKM traditionally is like Rome, Logseq, Obsidian, Remnote, those sorts of tools. Notion, I don't think is one of those tools. Could it be used for PKM? Yes. The point I'm making is it's more rigid than the others. That's something that I've been thinking a lot about right now of with Notion because um where I'm at is obviously Obsidian is my day-to-day. -day. Like that's what I'm going to be using as my daily driver and have been. I'm at a point now where it's like, yep, this is working for me. I don't, and now I'm starting to go, okay, cool. So here's what I could do. I've got the databases that I want to use by using DB folder. I'm tweaking my DB folder now. I'm just playing with the ideas and having different buttons that I can press because it's fun and that makes me feel good. Um, and I'm now starting to evolve the system from what was your base, which I'm loving because it's now starting to evolve and create something that I want. And then I'm like, okay, so what happens with Notion? Do I want to get rid of Notion? My instant response was actually no. And the reason why is because Notion has one thing that I haven't quite figured out what to do in Obsidian yet. And that is visualizing data in multiple different ways. But I'm not talking about editing that data because I know I can pull in data and lots of different pieces like that. But I'm talking about bringing things in from other platforms like ConvertKit. And being able to view that data in the same way really quickly. And that, to me, Notion is still really, really good at. And I still like how Notion does that. And so for now, that's what I'm playing with. I still don't know. It may end up still going into Obsidian. <laughs> because so my, my question is, when you say visualize, are you talking about a cards view, a calendar view, a gallery view? Or are you talking about different filtered database table like views it's kind of it, it's kind of a visual aesthetic it is how it's how it looks so it's the card view the etc cetera, etc cetera view and also just the ease of bringing stuff in it's slightly easier with notion because of the direct integrations and i know notions integrations well than it is with obsidian Right, yeah. Like the, the setup, I understand. Like the setup in Obsidian can take longer because it's not browser and you need to know what you gotta use to do the thing. I think once someone has done it, uh it it I mean it's similar with the way you started with Obsidian. You you weren't oh. sure how to set up and then you basically borrowed slash stole my setup and you just used it since and built upon it. You yeah. sort of were given the cake and now you're adding the cherries. Um yeah. <laughs> So I, I agree. I think the setup, once once there is a setup out there, once someone has done the setup, yes, I'm working on it, but oh my God, there are so many things to set up. Uh, like there are so many different things. And um, once there is a setup out there, the views, the so there is a project plugin that was created by Mark, which gives you the calendar, the table, the board, the uh, the gallery. Uh, and that's all that's all done. It's a plugin that's that's already available in the plugin setup. You can't do much with it yet, but the way that he's built the plugin is that other plugins can use that view and DB nice. folder is currently leveraging that. So the power of the DB folder data view queries will be in 
all of the Notion views once it's configured appropriately. I know Raphael's working on it at the moment. So all the views are currently available anyway. You could use full calendar for the calendar, then you Kanban for Kanban, DB folder for table, or projects for all of them. I but like ha- seeing multiple. The thing that's kind of stopping me, and I know if I'm if I'm correct, I know Data View has a card view or some form of similar view like that. But Data View has any view you want it to, but the setup is larger. Yeah, and that for me is the problem. I just want to get it, it's not worth that amount of effort yet. Because what I'm using it for is things like keeping track of my subscribers, who's come in, who's not. It's it's primarily like to view data. And also from a point of like a lot of my clients may already have a project and task management tool and they may, may need something that helps them to just see information in different ways. I mean, I hate, I mean, Quebec, it's fine for their data, but it's not viewed in a way that I want to view it. Whereas for me, if I can view it in in a traditional, like the way that Notion shows the data and the information and the connections and the roll-ups and the relations, which does exist now in DB4, and I was playing with that and going, oh, this is so cool. Um, yeah, it would be fine. But right now, it's just quicker yeah. to use Notion because the integrations are, are, are there and done. I think it will be a while before I decide to move it all over because... It, it works. I think that right there is, I, I don't want to self-plug, but this may sound like a self-plug, but that right there is the entire point of the course that I'm building because yeah. the onboarding in Obsidian, the setup to get going in Obsidian to do some of the advanced stuff, the basic stuff is easy. You you open Obsidian, you start writing in an, in a file, done. As soon as you get to some of the advanced database type stuff, you need to understand what YAML front matter is. You also need to understand what plugins are available and what to use. Now, inside of Notion, you don't have to know what plugins are available, but you need to understand what all the properties do. And that takes time. That's why hmm. Marie has a Notion Mastery course. That's why people spend hundreds of hours watching videos on Notion on YouTube to understand, to onboard them onto Notion. And I would still argue that the majority of people don't understand what you can do with Notion databases because of the the amount you can do with the roll-ups, the vast amounts you can do with the formula property and what that can do, and then all oh, gotcha. of the other and all the other intricate features you can have within the different views. Some views do some things rather than others. And I in my head, I treat each of those Notion views as a different plugin in Obsidian. And when you do that, and you consider each view, linked view, table, board, then you've got the linked views inside of different pages rather than the same database and then you can move databases in like if you consider each of those as a plugin because that's essentially what obsidian is well now you're not looking at notion now you're looking at the core of notion plus like 10 15 plugins which is what a lot of people in the power end of obsidian use but the setup takes time yeah yeah and i think that's also that's also why i think obsidian will take a bit longer to get buy-in versus with Notion. Because I was discussing... What, what, yeah, go on. I was going to say, I was discussing this this point with a couple of other people. I think the marketing of Notion did well because mm-hmm. of... Uh, actually, I think it might have been on stream because of the YouTube, like Ali on YouTube, Thomas Frank on YouTube, Marie and August all on YouTube, and they made the complexity look simple. Like August's space 
in the background was very complex. You had roll-ups, relations, tons of databases all over the page, place, loads and loads of properties. I didn't like all the properties, but loads of properties. But he made it look simple. Because <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because he's just like, oh, I go to my dashboard and then I see all my actions. Yeah, but in there you had a formula, you had a relation, you had three or four relations, you had roll-ups, but he didn't show all of that. It was just, here's the thing. And then Ali's the same, Thomas Frank's the same. So the advanced features of Notion were being used, just not shown. And then the course, people were like, oh, you can do this. And that's where it sort of, in, in my head, that's where it moved forwards because it was shown to be simple at the moment. Yeah including my channel it's not shown to be simple it's it's shown to be functional like, mm. that's how i see the videos most of the obsidian videos are this is how you use this plugin this is how i use these plugins to do this thing but the how i use these plugins to do this thing unless this thing uh in nicole's case it's dnd is relatable to the person watching they don't care sorry just being blunt they don't care yeah i'm interested in obsidian Nicole's videos are DNT. I don't care what her use case is because I don't play DNT. Yeah, I don't play the game. I look at the features and the features she talks about. I'm like, yeah, I already know that. Can you give me something else? As a as a, a power obsidian user. So as a general Notion user, they're like, I don't play DNT. I don't understand these plugins. I'm not a programmer. Why would I watch this video? There isn't a reason to. Yeah, that's where I think Obsidian users. <laughs> could do better but a lot of users are writers so there's loads of articles and medium and blog posts but sorry <laughs> blogs aren't going to push obsidian to no. the right audience not the right but no because, because the thing is is that it it's it's so visual mm. that's Ex explaining thing. obsidian to someone that doesn't understand the terms of obsidian is difficult yeah. Even in my Tana video, when I tried to explain nodes, I'm like, well, it's a node in a field inside of a node. If you don't yeah. understand what any of that means, what? And it's the same with same with Obsidian. This is a file tab inside of a pane inside of a pop-out window of Obsidian, which <laughs> is included in the workspace. What? And, and that's someone that knows, I'm talking to someone that knows it, and you're like, hold up, let me just visualize that. But if you've never seen it before in Obsidian, you can't. Yeah. In, pictures just don't do it justice. If it's a how to, how to do this thing, pictures and words, perfect. I say that because that's what I'm doing in my course, because I'm not doing a video for every lesson, because that just takes far too long. Um, for the lessons where I'm actually building stuff that's complicated, yes. But when it comes to showing people around your space like the notion tour excuse me the notion tours how i'm using this to they're mainly students do stuff the obsidian tours don't seem to hit the same at all no i don't even think i've ever watched an obsidian tour which has captured me like a notion tour has you watch the Notion tours, you go, oh, that's cool. I might try that. I I can't think of a video in Obsidian where I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll try that. Apart from a plugin feature, which is complicated. And I think that's, I suppose that's where also why you can't compare them. Hmm. Why they are not, they're, they're just that you can, there is no comparison between Notion and Obsidian. You cannot 
they're not in the same league. They're not in the same like sphere at all. Even though, and, and this is from, if you look at it from an outside perspective, from people who aren't in the PKM space, Notion itself is still pretty complicated. And so getting people to buy into Obsidian, even though, even though for a lot of my clients that I work with, Obsidian would be amazing because it gives them that organized chaos. But the because of the way that videos are directed, it's very much directed at PKMers, not normal people. <laughs> and the tool is also designed around people who like the personal knowledge management or a little bit nerdy and a little bit on the look look at their front page it's the front page is talking about a second brain not everyone knows what a second brain is i i think obsidian focuses its audience towards the theoretical note takers yeah but that's not the majority of people the majority of people are practical note takers now obsidian can do practical notes because i do it <laughs> yeah um and we pretty I, much that uh, i mean i think we said it before both of us basically spend all our time with practical notes Yep. Not with theoretical. I mean, especially me at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Building this course, it's, it's all practical. Um, and I, I said to John uh, before the stream, the stream, before the podcast recording went live, um, I'm trying to rebuild people's notion systems inside of Obsidian. And I'm at a point now where I think I've recreated, I need to fiddle around with bits, but I think I've recreated Marie Paulin's Horizon dashboard which obviously a lot of people know um, inside the Notion space, and it's extremely powerful showing you lots of different things. Now, yes, I've taken inspiration from people that have done stuff similar, um, but the stuff that I found that where people have done something similar is an eight-month-year-old post somewhere in the Obsidian forum or a blog post that was pinned in a Discord thread hidden away in a chat somewhere. Like You really have to go digging for this stuff which shouldn't be the case. It should just be right front and center. This is how you make a dashboard. And a lot of the dashboards I'm seeing in Obsidian, yes, are riddled with CSS, which it needs to be for it to work in the same sort of way as um, Notion. But it's not explained as to, oh, this CSS is actually really easy to implement because of said plugin. That they just, they skip the stuff that's kind of needed to make it go, oh, okay, that's not as bad as I thought. Um, and I, my sister, she's a student, second year student in zoology. I got her using Obsidian rather than Notion a while back, but she's been to Canada, now come back from Canada. And she started using or started organizing her, her Obsidian yesterday. Uh, and she was like, can I do this? Yes, like this. Oh, okay. Can you, can I do that? Yes, like that. Oh, okay. Can I try? Yes. Like, and it was kind of like a, every question she had, I was like, yeah, you can do that. Just do this. But all the questions she had, it, it, there needed to be an answer somewhere. She, she's not active on the Discord server because it's far too busy for her, which is understandable because if you're not in it, there's a lot of stuff going on. And the YouTube videos, to be frank, most of them are dull, boring, <laughs> uh, and they're not appetizing to someone like her that just wants a quick answer. She doesn't like watching me, but she watches my videos because it gives her the answers. I think she yeah. mute, I think she mutes the video so she doesn't hear me and then just watches the screen. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I hear this boy all the time. <laughs> Sibling love. Um... <laughs> but 
think, I, I, think I, I think she's like the perfect audience to boost Obsidian. No, she's not a programmer. She's sort of interested. She's her student. Like, oh yeah, I'd like to know some Cody stuff, but not that much. And that's how Notion blew up, blew up using students. And then students popularized it, and then all the business people got in, and now Notion's all business focused. But oh, <laughs> I still, I, I do. It's great that people are making a living with Notion. I mean, that's how I got my start. That's how I got I my start. Yeah, it's what we both did. But also, it's now got to a point where all <sighs> I got, I got a retreat, uh, a retweet. I got a tweet from one of my tweets uh, saying, "Why do I hate on Notion so much?" There are a follower from way back when I uh, talk, spoke about Notion, uh, and I, I was talking about how. So I, my, my tweet was about how people were saying Obsidian is too complex. And then the advice was to go use Notion. And I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And essentially, my tweet was getting at the advice being given. Why are you going from one complex tool to another complex tool? Mm. Like, if, if, if it's too complex, use paper. <laughs> if they don't have the time to learn Obsidian, they certainly don't have the time to learn Notion. Because Notion's onboarding, like, beginning onboarding is higher than obsidian obsidian open it right notion open it do it need, does it need to be a page or a database <laughs> and then is it a sub database of a database or is it database forward then like yeah what properties do i need obsidian you yeah. don't need to worry about any of that you can you can use obsidian i used obsidian for the first like month and a half without any plugins any database i didn't know what yaml is yaml was until like three and a half months into using obsidian and i didn't use community plugins like actually use them until about a year into my Obsidian use. I was pure core. Same with my Notion. I didn't use add-ons or anything. I was pure core Obsidian. Now I've got like 15 core uh, community plugins. <laughs> but it's gone I, up. <laughs> yeah, but I'm doing a lot with Obsidian. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, I think that's... That is the thing that I find really frustrating as everyone says. Because Notion is hot still... And I don't oh, think it's going anywhere. The same with Evernote. Evernote's still like spoken about, and you're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Mm, no, it's Sound so. Effects, does it? Yeah. I mean, this has a, a larger problem in the business world with application tools and and like ch telling people what they should use. It's just so. It's problematic, in my opinion. It's so problematic because people are like, just use this. I find it easy. That's nice. Do you remember what it was like when you first started using Notion? No, you don't. You probably spent nearly two, three, four thousand pounds hiring a consultant to help you use it, which obviously is great. I get paid for that. But this is the issue. And 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 the reason why for me I shifted my business. I could be, I would be earning three, four, five times as much if I stuck with Notion. If you look at the space, if you look at the domain that I had, um, business in Notion, I got that domain that is so deliciously amazing for um, all businessy stuff. But I moved away because what I was realizing was people didn't know what they wanted. And they were trying to copy what everybody told them to do. And using these beautifully complicated systems like um, Horizon and um, PPV and 
LMNOP and all of those things. There's so that, many abbreviations. <laughs> yeah, like without actually knowing why. And the reason why, and I think we discussed this very early on when the Notion Nerds were the Notion Nerds, it's because people don't find it sexy. <laughs> I think we've had this, this conversation with Layla as well. It doesn't feel good. It's It requires... Well, I'm speaking with Layla. I'm doing a bit of a catch up because Layla isn't necessarily jumping ship from ClickUp, but she's looking at SmartSuite. I don't know whether you've looked at her channel recently, but yeah, she, I, she... I she has shifted focus. I did see that. I haven't looked at any of her videos, but I did notice that that um, I'm on YouTube all the time, so <laughs> yeah, that she was shifting her. Yeah, so her focus is similar to you, not simplicity, but process driven. So she has a process driven approach that she uses in ClickUp and she's looking to apply process driven in, in SmartSuite because SmartSuite is a newer application. Her recent video, I think it's like half an hour long, worth a watch. Um, go, goes through a bit of a comparison between the two. Now ClickUp certainly wins on some elements, but SmartSuite actually like puts up a good fight, kind of like David David and Goliath right there. Um, it, it puts yeah, up a good fight. Smart Sheet is not new. It's actually quite a... Smart Sheet, yeah. Well, it's, so 2019 was when it was done, but uh, what, what Layla was talking about was, even though it was done in 2019, it wasn't an official released app. It was all like beta stuff until early 2022. So it was basically like a four-year incubation. And that is not a bad price. <laughs> for a business for 24 pounds a month that is not bad oh per user per month okay fine fair enough that's more expensive i don't i don't know if you're on the right if you're on the same app i assume you've clicked on like latest video or something or looked at the logo but i looked at smart sheet because i know of it it's not sheet it's sweet oh okay it's kind of like a yellow blue red line dash icon thing i don't remember what the price was i didn't really pay attention oh there we go smart sweet yes um like i say look look at layla's video because she's covered it i think she's going to cover it more but uh, where i was going with this is her her approach the process driven approach um is essentially a, a systems approach um that requires some sort of onboarding to a tool and i think you're you're very similar with your simplicity yes you've you've now you've got the why what tool is going to be best suited rather than, hey, this is Notion, this is how you use it. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I and think the onboarding... Opens... Yeah, go on, sorry. I, I think the onboarding of the tool can push people away from certain elements of a system. Mm. Mm. And I think, like, for me, a lot of... I've been doing a lot of kind of mapping out of how I want to move forward because often there is this risk. And I had a conversation with someone recently who is an ocean consultant. I'm like, Hey, if you're using obsidian all the time, how can you promote notion? And my response is I'm not promoting notion. I'm promoting the tools that fit you. I just so happen to be certified as a notion consultant. That is literally it and my plan going forward in my business for the next year is to expand out into being able to help people like to take the philosophy like the theoretical like system and process that i use which is based in ecological dynamics because of course it is yum 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 um and hopefully i can start drip feeding more and more and more and more of that in there can't wait <laughs> i'm looking at the uh recording and just like i want to put all of this in there now no 
just mm -hmm. edit it, upload it, and leave it for a bit <laughs> before you overwhelm everyone. You, you, you will have to do like ED in business, like a course like ED in business. That is the plan. I want oh. to spoilers. <laughs> Are you are you writing that in Obsidian now? Yeah, because I am. <laughs> that is that is actually like the plan. Okay. Is eventually that's what I want to do, because it it it's real. It it answers so many questions that the process input output does not. The other way around, but, whatever. It's still, yeah. yeah. But that. That's easier. The input process output model is easier to model. It's easier to market, and it's not as abstract in the philosophy. I know, <laughs> but it's so it's too simplified. Too constraining. It's, yeah, it's yes, exactly. It's too constrained, and I think that was really one of the things that I got from that workshop was actually the methodology that I was using, which allowed me to add the constraints back in. It was a constraints-led approach to coaching, which in the environment of a live workshop, which is hard enough as it is, because everyone has different contexts, which is really, like, for me, when you said that, I think it was during a conversation we had, I was like, oh, yeah, that is literally what I'm doing. Yeah, I was this cooking yeah, exactly. You were cooking dinner. You're like, yeah, it's just constraints. I'm a cooking. I just imagine you flying things around the kitchen, and I'm a cooking. Sorry. Um, no, I'm, I'm not that energetic in the kitchen. It was me stirring pasta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I, I had I had you on on the phone on the side, and you were like shouting. I've just taken my headphones out with my with my arm. That was great. I'm going to plug my headphones back in so I can hear what you're saying. Yeah, was, uh, you you were shouting in the kitchen basically um right there we go i can now hear yeah you were shouting in the kitchen because the phone was just on speaker and then i was um doing the whole uh cooking the pasta thing but yeah we, we were having a good ed conversation in there and it and it and it really is quite exciting for me because i'm going to keep bringing that at the moment i think the constraints and affordances i think constraints is probably the easiest way to start because so what I wanted to speak to, which is why I pointed at you, um, is you said it was difficult to do in a webinar situation. And that right there is exactly why sports coaches struggle to apply the constraints-led approach because your webinar is their session, is their coaching session. How yeah. do I bring this entire philosophy of practice into a coaching session? How do I add the appropriate constraints and affordances to help the individual, to guide the individual to a solution that they've come up with without imposing my own philosophy and thoughts on that? And that's the difficulty of coaching, just in general. When you apply yeah. an ED approach, that becomes very apparent. And that's where mm. a lot of the expert coaches that the coaches with expertise that's where their expertise is it's not oh this is the drill i know you need to practice this is the spaced repetition flashcard rubbish <laughs> it's <laughs> it's how am i actually going to design a practice that helps this the person in this way that doesn't constrain them from doing other things or how do they interact with other people and and all of the other philosophy of ed how do you do that and that is the expertise of a coach Something's just come up for me that I, I have to talk about because because coaching in the business industry is really 
rough. <laughs> it's not the greatest in the world. I think I speak for everyone, which is why for so long, and even now, I still err on the side of caution of calling myself a coach. Now, I need to grab that quote from you of what coaching is or get the paper so I can reference it lots. Um, effective coaching? Yeah, I think so, yeah. A consistent application the of professional, interpersonal, and interpersonal knowledge. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. That one there. Right there. That's just please. Yum, yum. Give me, give me, give me. It's probably on your notes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Type in coaching and I think it's in there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> with yeah, with the paper. Because <laughs> I think that is where most coaches don't actually coach and, and a lot of my th thoughts recently has been around so you have these coaching you have mentorship you have all these different forms of working with someone and I'm like well what do I do because I kind of do the bloody lot now, if you look at it from a standpoint of what traditional coaching is referred to as, as in what it is in the business space, I'm not a coach because I'm I'm a consultant because that's different. And I am wondering, because like if you if I'm looking at it from my understanding of ED, I am adapting what I do to suit the person I'm with. So if they are in a position where right now it is the mental block of productivity, I am more of a mentor in the business categorization i am mentoring them in productivity but what i'm actually doing is coaching so i'm not going to get on my high horse here but what you i just... want you to get get on your high horse this is our <laughs> podcast get on it but what you've just said Ride that is... Horse. <laughs> is quite literally the argument of my head of course for my undergraduate sports coaching. It's his argument all mm. the way through the undergrad. So I spent three years studying this argument. What is coaching? What does coaching look like? And in the UK, there's uh, an organization called SIMSPA, the Chartered mm. Institute of Sport and Physical Activity. And they are trying to turn coaching into a profession because at the moment, coaching isn't seen as a profession. Uh, it's just seen as something that you do. So you get like the, the parent that goes on the football field. Oh yeah, I'm coaching. No, you're not. You're facilitating activity. Uh, <laughs> just that's how it is. And coaching is used in so many other contexts and areas, but there is so much missed business being one of them art being another um... business is a bloody massive one like yeah you the, look the word the, the word coaching from all the coaching research is being misused everywhere and what simsper wants to do and what my head of course was trying to essentially petition and all of the what i would call expert coaches are trying to do in the coach sports coaching field is reclaim the word coaching because coaching is way more complicated way more difficult than people make it out to be and people say oh yeah you just go coach that group of kids no it doesn't work like that do you understand how kids learn no do you understand how they develop no do you know what the relative age effect is no then you're not coaching you're facilitating the environment which anyone can do um and when you were talking about coaching in business i'm like no i have not seen a business coach by the definition of my understanding of coaching because if you were to say to any someone in business coaching from my experience do you know what these terms mean most of them will go no and if they don't know what those terms like simple or over classes coaching terms like if you don't know what constraints-led approach is and you're a coach what are you doing 
<laughs> if you don't know what information processing is and you're as a coach, what are you doing? If you've never heard of the self-determination theory, what are you doing? Right? They are simple theories, simple terms, like intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. If you can't list me like 10 of each, then you're not a coach because that's like basics. That's fundamentals of coaching. That's stuff I learned like first semester undergrad and I was what, 20? And if you're coaching businesses and you don't know what they are, you're not a coach. Yes, there are people that can be a coach that don't know some of those things, but they've learned that through years of practice. So they've developed coaching expertise, professional knowledge through practice. So if, yeah, so if, so you can get coaches from like both sides, they either gone through, a, this is where I got the notes idea from. They can become a coach. They can develop coaching expertise through the profession, through practice, or they can become, they can gain expertise through theory, but yeah. they both lack information the coach that's gone through practice doesn't know the theory so sh may struggle to develop it in different directions in different contexts and nuances because they're like i don't know how this works over here and they don't have any theory to back it up but people in theory go oh yeah you've got all of this stuff but have no idea how to put it in practice how to use it yeah and i think well the thing that where my attention is going is to i have been very fortunate in the way that i work in the fact that i want to know everything <laughs> So I look into most coaches do. Yeah. And that's the thing. I want to know the theory because then I have something to back it up. But I also have my practical experience as well. And I have both. And that is where my focus is going. It's having that like theoretical knowledge of the basics of coaching, which part of me is like, oh, do I go and do an undergraduate? Do I go and do all of that? I'm like, maybe it'll be fun and I'll probably hate it um, equally as much. So what you said there, for me, my undergraduate degree was I know a lot of students are different with this, but my undergraduate degree, I think because of my head of course, I didn't see it as a degree of how to learn coaching. Mm. I, I saw it as a degree. Well, I did when I was doing it, but towards the middle yeah. of my third year, um, I realized, you know what? This degree is actually about learning. It has almost nothing to do with coaching, like the traditional sense of what a sports coach is. It's how to learn. I was learning how to learn and I was learning how other people learn so I could teach them pedagogy, right? So my degree was applicable everywhere i could teach myself how to learn anything anyway and i could teach other people how to teach things because i became a coach of coaches um because of the the way the degree was formulated essentially the government are trying to change it because of all the other rubbish and my head of course unfortunately is thinking of actually leaving like leaving the edu the higher education because of the constraints that the government and university wow. institutions are putting on it but it's the same across the board and when you actually look at sports coaching admissions most people, my students that go to sports coaching think, oh, I'm just going to be blowing a whistle on a field. Well, I, so we had one practical module where you actually did coaching to the cohort. Then there was like, uh, it was called professional development where you did placement hours, um, which you make it what you want. Uh, you could, you were meant to do 10 hours. I did like 130. So I like coaching. Uh, but the rest of the degree was all theory. It was all theory. So a lot of the students would come out the other end, going to practice, be like, oh, well, how do I apply this? And that's where Jim, my head of course, would be like, well, that's where you were meant to apply it in your professional development and the development of whatever it was. It was constrained by government environments, blah, blah, blah. But what, what coaching is there 
it's just learning in general. So if you were to go do a traditional sports coaching course, a lot of the content, you wouldn't be able to go, oh, I see how that relates because it's all directed in a different context. So mm-hmm. you would need a background knowledge, which I think you have now, of how to apply the theories they're talking about into business. But depending on what course you take, because because of the way higher education works, some syllabus will be like, oh, yeah, you're going to go on a field and coach. That's not what I want to do. I've never no. taken a business coaching course, so I don't know what that's like. But I would imagine it's very business focused. This is how the economics works. There's yes, probably going to be is. like an economics. And this is exactly my problem. As I was looking into the options, I'm like, this is fucking boring. Like, I, I'm i not interested in any of this. And there's also a side of me that's like, oh, I wonder whether actually doing sports psych would be a good idea. So, but what, I am not a sports person. The thing is, you don't have to be. Every so, I, I was talking to Justin Sung about this um, when I spoke with him. All of his research around education and learning, cognitive science, blah, blah, blah. It all rolls back to sport, which is what we've said. All of his research falls back onto sports in some way, whether that's relative age effect and they tested pro athletes um, uh, and whether they were in it or not, or whether that's motivation and they ended up testing sports people or whatever it was, learning, space repetition, space repetition is practice. What sort of practice? Distributed, variable. Oh, where do they test that? In sports. Um, (laughs) And... What I was just thinking is I want to do some sort of, I don't know whether it's going to be a course or whether it's going to be where my channel goes, but I want to express what I've learned from my coaching degree in a way that people can learn how to learn. The learning how to learn courses, I don't know whether they follow the coaching science because most of them are just active recourse based repetition, be motivated, find energy find energy yeah what is energy periodization what's that word oh my god smack my head against the wall uh <laughs> and the the courses that teach the coaching education is obviously sports coaching but if you're not into sport you don't do it so yeah. which guess... is what happened to me it was literally what happened to me i didn't until i met you and understood what the benefits were and if you think about it it's high performance at the end of the day yeah that's what you're teaching whether you go to high performance is another matter but it's teaching people how to perform at the best of their ability is my interpretation performance requires a skill a skill requires a context high also requires context so you can be a high performer at a particular skill in a certain group of people So everyone is looking for high performance, whether that's high performance of your ability to get a good mark on an essay in your cohort or whether you want to do well on an exam in a school for your year group. It's all high performance. Mm, I love it. And so for me, that is something that I've been like wondering because I did um, uh, a specific. I can't remember what it it was, what what, basically it was a gestalt thing that did come and the requirement is you had to already coach and it was interesting that i was let in (laughs) so me spitballing here go for spitting yeah um what if because like the cs50 for harvard 
is the the technical, the IT, this is how you become a programmer type thing. And it's essentially a degree put online. And there are lots of degrees put online. I don't know of a coaching degree that's put online. I don't know of one. And I'm in that field. I'm, I'm trying to find one. The only one that comes to mind is supporting champions from, I can't remember his name. He's a sports physiologist, but it's mainly to do with sports science not sports coaching and yes there is a difference they yeah. literally they are like fighting one another it's like coaches and teachers there is a massive difference they will fight each other um <laughs> people think oh yeah you're just teaching no no i'm not teaching i'm coaching ah oh, there's not really much of a difference yes there is i will throw a book at you um <laughs> there's a massive difference and what i'm thinking is could there be an online syllabus for i don't want to say coaching because I think that adds stereotypical constraints to it. I don't know what it would be called. <laughs> I don't know what to label or how to market it. But a lot of the information about high performance is in sports coaching. And everything that the productivity space, self, self-improvement space, all that sort of... The reason I was interested in it, it's not because I care about self-improvement, although it is interesting, but it's because it related directly to my degree, Like everything people talk about, building habits, practice. How do you develop high performance? Well, you need to practice. What's practice? Building habits. (laughs) It's literally my degree. Every time I see a video from Thomas Frank, Matt Diavella, anyone in the help development space, self-improvement space, um, anyone in the coaching space, anyone in the high performance space, in the marketing space, all of those areas are coaching. Like Seth Godin's marketing is coaching. He is coaching. But all of his research comes from coaching research. That's And that's business marketing. Uh, then you've got uh, Andrew Huberman with his neuroscience. Yeah, that, that's the anatomy. That's the psychology modules you do in coaching. And then you've got the doctors talking about anatomy and biology. Well, obviously, that's the anatomy and physiology mo- uh, lectures. And then when you put all that together, that's the psychology, which is what all the psychologists talk about. And all the politicians, when they're talking about, oh, we need to help people's life standards and them not smoking. Yeah, that's coaching. It's it's all high performance coaching. And it's like, how do you put that into a you can't put it in a course. I, I think it's far too much to put in a course. It's literally like 20 because each module in each year would be a course. Like my my module one in my first year would be fundamentals of coaching. My module one in second year would be uh, I think it's advanced coaching is what he called it. But essentially, it's trying to apply the fundamentals of coaching to a specific context. And then you have expertise in coaching. How do you bring in multiple contextual information using theory and apply that to practice? That's expertise in coaching. They are your, three modules. If you're... Um, Sorry, I, I ranted while. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, get the person who runs your professor, whatever you call it. Like, head of course. Head of course should do a course. Oh, I know, but he's he's not tech savvy in the slightest. Like I'm not even joking when I say this. We have a we have a computer screen for we had a computer screen in each lab. He needed a student to plug his laptop into the computer screen for it to work. He That's fine. He, just he didn't do the Zoom group. calls, he didn't do the team calls, didn't do any of that. He's we a just coach have... full and full. We we literally like we record him talking and we do the rest of it. <laughs> We we would we would not have enough time. I'm like he 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 would have a lecture on on a topic, mm-hmm. 
this is this is the way he lectured, right? He had slides built with like a couple of words on. So first slide of the lecture would be, we're talking about um, long-term athlete development. The next slide, relative age effect. An hour later, the next slide, LTAD models. An hour later, that's one model done. Two hours later, that's the second model done with critiques. Like he could talk, but him and I, we, we spoke a lot in tutorials, which is where you like talk one-to-one. -one. We spoke a lot about loads of different things. And because of the depth at which coaching goes in so many different fields, he's got a PhD in psychology. And um, because of the depth that you can go, I'm not even joking. When I say long-term athlete development and one of the models, the uh, DSMP model from uh, Co and uh, I think it's Cobin. I can't remember, Ir irrelevant. Um, but that, that model has got thousands of papers on it because obviously it's in academia. You could talk about that one model could be a course. There are seven LTAD models that are popular. There are like 20 something that have been thrown under the bus. All seven of those models can be applied in different ways. And for a coach to be able to apply those into LTAD, you need to understand what LTAD is and how all of the other factors impact a person's development. So that's maturation, psychology, biology, et cetera, et cetera. All of those different things can be modules, can be courses on their own because they are so complex. You've seen academia, you've seen how deep it goes. And for those that don't know, if you type in one of those models, you'll get like thousands of papers where people have gone backwards and forwards, arguing forwards and backwards. And coaching literature is a hundred plus years old. It's not a new field. So there are hundreds of years of discussions going backwards and forwards that cross over other fields of research as well. So you would need to drastically pull it back for it to be a course. It, it is a degree. And like my like my head, of course, used to say, like Jim used to say all the time, this could be a degree on its own, just a module. This could be a degree on its own, but the government doesn't let me do that. I know I'm not even joking. Like the government wouldn't let you do a degree just about a, a model of coaching, but there is that much information in the model that it could be. I want to put all of the stuff in my head. That's kind of why I put my notes publicly. All of the stuff in my head about coaching. I want to put it somewhere that people can use. At the moment, it's in my notes sporadically, but I could quite easily build it up. That's that's what I want to do once I've got the Obsidian onboarding course done. But how I do that, I have no idea. I haven't even tried to tackle it. That's, that's literally, this, what I'm talking about, literally is my 2023 goal. Is it 2023? Yeah, that's yeah. my goal to try and put all of my coaching course into my notes, maybe put that my would notes be into a amazing. course. That would be amazing. I would. <laughs> just Yum. <laughs> Cause that's the thing. It's like, I am, I am in this back and forth of like, do I go and because I like to learn like that is just, do I go traditional or do I just do it on my own? But then if there's guidance that can actually help guide me in a direction so I'm not like this and I can go deep instead of wide, which is often what deciding what to look at and what not to look at when you do a search and elicit is just how. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, this, oh, this, oh, 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 oh. And actually trying to choose a focus is quite hard. And that's where I've, that that is exactly where I'm at right now. I'm like, I could go down ED but even that itself then where? is terrifying. <laughs> um, and where to even, like, I am literally just starting, I think, 
you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm like here at the tip of the iceberg of what I've just started to talk about in business. And I think my assumption is it's too much for people already. <laughs> so what, what you said there, I think epitomizes my course quite well, right? Yeah. Most people in the degrees in their courses, right? When they do their assignments or their essays, they're given a, a couple of headings to pick on and then they go, go there and they go do the thing. My head of course, Jim, said, do what you want. All of the assignments were literally do what you want as long as it relates in some way to these learning objectives that you have to have for a degree. So when when people say, I don't know how to write this thing, I've had practice because all of my essays at uni were, I pick a topic and then I go explore it and I go deep with it. Like one of my essays, I don't have any of my essays anymore because I threw them out because I did, never thought I'd need them again. Yeah, I know, poor me, bad me, naughty, naughty. Um, <laughs> I can ask the university to bring them back. So obviously I, I submit hate them. you right now. <laughs> I never thought I'd need him again because yeah anyway um, but one of them was about the socialization of coach education now that sounds really complicated basically coach education has been made simplified like oversimplified because of the way the social system works um, and I argue backwards and forwards in and it's like a 4,000 word essay but that essay right there could be an entire module because the socialization of coach education doesn't just apply to coach education it applies to education mm. and there are so many different arguments and discussion points in there as well and this is where i want all of my notes to go because i've got all of this stuff and again this is 2023 what i want to do with 2023 um but yeah it's what what you said is i don't know where to go with this thing and i'm like yeah that's literally coaching if you want to learn about it there are too many rabbit holes to go down you need someone my head, of course, was it for me. Um, and I would love to keep talking with him, but obviously he runs a course. <laughs> he runs a degree, which is yeah. taxing. Um, but every time I speak with him, it's like, oh yeah, there's there's that route as well. And there's that route as well. And it just, it's endless. We should get him on an episode of this podcast. It would be him talking. I'm not even joking. It would, oh, like, yeah. You, we would, you, you, you like, think I'm bad. You think I'm bad. He would, we would just sit there going like this. But the thing is, he. I would understand what he's saying and the, the where he's coming from because he'll talk in sport. Cricket is his sport. Why cricket? Yeah. I don't know. But cricket's his sport. And he'll use anecdotal information. He will reference far more people than me. You think I reference a lot? <laughs> yeah. You haven't met Jim. Um, Like... <laughs> He'll have like three references for every one of mine, <laughs> and and he'll he'll go back further as well because like he's, I want to say his early fifties now, I'm not sure, um, but yeah he's he's had an extra thirty years in this field, <laughs> and he's as it and he's been teaching this like he's run a degree about this for fifteen years. Mm. See he, that that for his me lecture, he doesn't take notes, but his lecture slides are. I mean, they would be gold if you put anything on them. <laughs> but yeah, it's just I, I want I want his course online. Yeah. That's what I want to yeah, do. I'd take it. Because <laughs> that's the thing. It's like when I look into the options, because I have been very seriously, like considering what options there are for me. And I'm like, yeah, but. It's either in a direction that I'm not really interested in, so I will not be motivated to continue it because that's just how I work. I, I know that 
I need to be motivated and you have to be for things like that because it takes a lot of your time yeah. or it's but I'm now very intrigued where you went air my understanding is that it takes up a lot of your time but then at the same time there's stuff that I know because I like this topic because I really like this topic and so I don't want to get to the point where I'm just like right yeah okay Okay, well, I don't agree in this because of these reasons. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, and no, that's not quite right. Almost, but not quite. What about the, have you considered, and and this is the thing of like, where would I go to get something that I don't, like to get the depth that I want? The reason I went air is because a university degree is, in the UK specifically anyway, um, is built to get a piece of paper. So you can do absolutely nothing and just do the essays because it's out of education. You can do what you want. You don't have to turn up depending on the university's obviously rules and stuff, but you don't have to turn up because it's your choice. You don't have to do any of the homework because the homework is your own self-study. All you need to do is submit enough credits to pass the modules to pass that year to move on. And if you get the credits to pass, i.e. you get a 40 out of 100, which is literally Anyone can do that if you're competent. Yeah, 40 out of 100 as a pass. Um, yeah. If you want to get a good grade, you you, you need like 60 or yeah, I think a 60 is a first. But getting but that... getting getting up there is difficult. Like getting getting higher than 80 is extremely difficult. I think the highest grade I ever got was an 87. And I'm I'm not saying I'm a, a goody two shoes, great, great student, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, but like I'm not a bad student. I, I got a two one because I didn't care about the essays and I did the essays in like three hours. Um <laughs> yeah, I know, bad student, blah, blah, blah. I did more research than anyone else, but I just didn't care about the essays. Um and, and that's what I mean my air, because you can get a degree with minimal effort. That's what a lot of students do. Uh, you can get a two one with I would argue minimal effort. You you don't really need to try, but if you want to learn a lot. That's mm. what the university gives you the affordance to do. And that's why I think people start university too early because they they go into university after doing A-levels. A-levels, university, drastically different. A-levels, you have to learn this thing for the test at the end. University, eh, do what you want. You want to read yeah. that? Go read that. You don't want to? Don't bother. Just make sure you turn up to this essay or make sure you submit this at the right time. Scrambling to finish it off at like 10.30 so you can submit, submit it to turn it in at 11, 11, 11 in the morning. Like that, That's what most students do. And that's the interesting thing is like, University is adult education, but adults don't go do it. If if that is all it is, then that's not all I would need is a direction and some constraints that I could use, and then I could do it myself. And those essays could be business focused. And I'm just like, okay, so what's the bloody point? And I suppose it's access to if you get a good like head of course or lecturer or you have someone who is really into it like you're like yeah, like Jim yeah. was and is yeah. and it's great but often my understanding is most people are just ticking boxes because of how the government have completely screwed the system yeah well it's not just the government but yeah um so I'm going to I mean, we have gone well off topic now yeah I know um, so Jim's pu- published two books. One of them is uh, Becoming a Sports Coach, which most people are going to be like, oh, why would I want to become a sports coach? But it 
if you look at it from a, a learner's perspective, it covers a lot of things. I'm, I've got the PDF, so I'll send the PDF over to you. <laughs> uh, I, I brought up Zoterra's to remind me. Um, but what Jim was talking about is, th- this is something in the PPD module, a uh, personal professional development module that he spoke about in third year, uh, where he said, right, even though this is your last year of the undergrad, I did a postgrad, so I was still there. Even though it's your last year of your undergrad, this is the start of your self-learning journey, of your personal professional development journey. And what he expects, what he expected us to do was to use the knowledge we gained through the foundation to further ask questions, find other people that are interested in the topic and go learn more. Yeah. But to me, that's where the degree would be helpful to start with. If you go in wanting to learn more and wanting to go deeper with people that are also interested in going deeper, that's where the course is. Like the mature students on the course are the best ones because they are the ones that go learn something and come back to the conversation with something different because you've both gone in different directions in the research and come back. Like uh, one of one of the good examples is there was um there was a guy, the cohort below me, he was second year and he was into hockey, like field hockey, not ice hockey, field hockey. Uh, and we were both doing um, an essay around relative age effect, the relative age effect in hockey, the relative age effect in trampoline because trampling was my sport at the time. Well, it still is my sport, really. Um, and even though we were looking at essentially the same articles, we were both looking at it through a different lens. So we both came back to the conversation with a different perspective because trampoline is predominantly a younger-focused uh, a younger focused sport. Like, you sort of top out at 21, 20, 22, really. That, like, that's like retirement age. <laughs> if you go any longer than that, wow, impressive. And if you haven't made it by like eight, yeah, you're not going to make it. Whereas in, yeah, fi- yeah. If, if you can't do a double back uh, by like nine, you're, you're not making it into the into the national team. If you go to Bulgaria, if you can't triple by 13, it's not happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas in field hockey, you can start field hockey fairly late. Like some of the people in the GB women's team started at like 16, 17. And relative age effect obviously has a massive impact on that because for those unfamiliar with relative age effect, it basically says that it has to do with the scouting, the talent ID world. I've got a whole note on relative age effect. Go have a look. I think it's RAE is the abbreviation. But we looked at the same thing with different eyes and came to drastically different conclusions. And we had a discussion about it. And that discussion right there is what I think the degree can do. It can bring people together but that's the community that I struggle to find that are active elsewhere. Yeah. That, that they are there in sport. But they're so focused in sport. Like you've got the LTAD network, which is focused mainly on strength and conditioning and the physical elements of LTAD. Supporting champions is mainly mainly the sports science elements. So not just phys- physiology. Then you've got the Sports Psych Show, which is a podcast that talks about psychology, but there's no community. Well, there is a community, but there's not like a an online community where you can talk and discuss things. And it's very academic and very sporty, out there, lofty, sporty. That that I, I feel like I should stop because we're just talking sport. We're talking I, I said I said I could get on my high horse and talk. <laughs> yeah, I it, it's interesting because this is a question that I genuinely am considering of like I would like more of these conversations just for my own personal development because it's interesting and because I am and wish to become a coach that is an actual coach. <laughs> I think I think you are a coach, but 
I, I think the theory behind why you're a coach is yes, lacking. I would like, like the, the awareness theory. of it. I want the awareness of the theory and to have that and to bring that in so I know because I can, I seem to, and this is other people's view of me, not my own, that I seem to be a very good coach. I help people get what they want and what they need and achieve what they want to do. But I have, I, I, I think I have, what is it? What is it you call it? What is the term? See, there you go. I don't have the terminology of like, I know what I do because I've picked it up naturally. It's a skill that I have attained through practice, but the theoretical knowledge, I'm not aware of that theoretical knowledge that backs what I have. I like what you said there. Skill, the skill you attain through practice. I like it. To gain expertise. Yeah, I've gained expertise, but I don't have the theoretical knowledge to go, here's why, here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. Like actually to evidence what I have. And that for me is like, where do I go to find that? I suppose the PKM space, but in mm. parts of, yeah, exactly. But where do I go? I think like that's in, the question in my head for, for you, the way that I, I don't know whether this is true. So again, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but when you have an answer to something, you sort of like built up the scaffolding, you're, you're up there, but because you don't have the theoretical background, when you have a different context or a different nuance, you go back down the scaffolding and you build something else. Yes. Rather than going, oh, I can just hop over to that platform. Yes, correct. Right. That's what I have in my head. Because for me, which is why I can speak so quickly and jump between topics so quickly and concepts and ideas and serendipity linking, whatever that means. Um, yeah, I, I can do that because I have a theoretical background and I have the, the base built up quite high. But I can just yes. jump between topics, which is why linking between ideas and concepts become quite naturally to me, which is why when people say, I don't know how to link this and that, I'm like, well, it's just there. And I know I've said the, oh, it's just. But to me, I have prior knowledge other people don't have. Yeah. And that is the thing that I am lacking. It is very much when, when a context changes, I move down. Now I'm slowly building up the scaffolding next to it. So it's becoming easier for me to hop between. That's what I was saying just a minute ago. That was me hopping between points. But also I don't have, I want to be there. <laughs> and then I can go there again. <laughs> and I want to get more of that theoretical knowledge because it, one, it interests me. It's fascinating how the brain works. That is literally my hyper focus um you, you're about to go hang on a minute what do you mean <laughs> no i, I want to say because I, I know you'll appreciate this is it the brain or is it the mind oh yeah mind it's always okay. the mind that's what it I is thought. the mind yeah and it, i don't want to correct because i don't think i'm correcting you um no but i but... want to reframe the yes. way that you speak yeah. Because that, that's what I've learned is when you reframe as an academic, when you reframe the way that you speak, the terms you use, the tone that you use with the words, and then you can formulate sentences with more accurate uh, terms for what it is that you're talking about, then when you get into the weeds of academia, you really grasp the depth at which some of the sentences go. Mm. Because when you just use blanket terms that are great for marketing, it's great for everyone else. But as soon as you get into the weeds and, and you go deeper into topics, if you're not entirely sure what they mean by a term, then you get lost. Yeah. Yeah. But most people won't have to worry about that because they're not reading academia. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, exactly. I'm interested in how the mind works. 
and seeing people the thing that i find most fascinating when i work with people is watching the conks turn as they're like processing the information as they're trying to like create the context around and and guiding people and being a resource for that to find their context is the bit that i love most it's like oh so i can do this with this yes oh that's easy <laughs> yes um <laughs> that's the point yeah i know that's what simplicity um <laughs> enough um and that's the thing that i love most of all so oh, I just, he has more. <laughs> yeah, yeah i i just this is a perfect example of me scaffold scaffolding backwards um we spoke right at the beginning about practical and theoretical notes what we're talking about is theoretical notes right yeah how do we make it practical? Well, that's also what we've discussed. We've discussed going, okay, this is the theory. These are the ideas. We have theoretical notes on how to apply these things, but we don't know how to apply them in practice. So we need to apply it to practice. And what we're doing right now is brainstorming how to turn theoretical notes into practical notes. We are going, okay, this is the theory of how sports coaching works and how it could apply to other fields such as business. How do I make this practical? Well, I could take the course. I could make a course. I could make a degree. I could make a degree online. I could talk with these different people. So I think what we're doing is the practice of turning theoretical to practical notes, which is what people struggle with. So I was just thinking maybe it's this is an example that we we've we give it we gave gave the setting at the beginning of the podcast that during the podcast we gave an example of us turning theoretical notes. Yes, the notes are in our head, but they're still notes. Um, and then practically applying them or trying to process them in a way that they can become practical notes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully. I love that. It is very true, though. That's what we've been doing. I like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're like, how can I this is me modeling in my head. How can I understand what it is that we're talking about? How do I attach it to something that I can relate with? Well, we spoke about that at the beginning. Now I've made a connection, sort of like a, a looped connection for the entire episode. Yeah, it's nice for the whole, oh, it's closed, closed the loop, finished it off, blah, blah, blah. But it also brings an example. Like what we've just spoken about, even though it went sideways and I didn't think about this in, in the moment, but that's an exact example of what we abstractly spoke about right at the beginning of the podcast episode. Yeah, love it. Mic drop. Yep. Um. Actually, talking about mics, we we <clears> discussed <throat> we discussed last week that after the end, so at the end of every PKM podcast, we were going to go into Discord and continue our conversation there, so people could join. Um. So this is a a formal invitation, <laughs> which you won't get until like next week. Next week, but yeah. still. Uh, yeah. So this is a formal invitation that when we finish our uh, podcast recording, which is on a Saturday, ten in the morning. G GMT, we will hop on to Discord in the Extended Brain Discord server. So if you want to join us in a conversation, feel free. Maybe you can ask some questions about what we spoke about or just listen into whatever we end up talking about afterwards. We don't have a, yeah. an official start time because we don't know how long the podcast episode will be recorded. So <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it could be eleven, it could be twelve. <laughs> but yeah. It could be three, depending on what mood we're in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so I think that closes out the episode. Yes, 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 indeed. Right, yeah. So uh, 
I'll see you on Discord if you magically know like a week beforehand. If not, <laughs> <laughs> talk to you all next week.